What's up, everybody, and welcome to Fantasy Stock Watch. Uh, my name is Mikey. I am joined by Danny, who, or should I say, I am joining Danny officially <laughs> as a contributing member of this YouTube channel. For sure. Glad to have you a part of the Fantasy Stock Exchange. This is Mikey's series. Again, as he mentions, is the Dynasty Stock Watch. So basically every episode, Mikey, you can take it away what we're going to be doing, but we're super pumped in having you on the channel and having you run this series. Yeah, I'm pumped. You know, um, I, def I love talking dynasty. That's my favorite thing. So I figure when you guys invited me in, why not bring my dynasty aspect uh, to the channel? So every week I'm going to be coming out with a video uh, based solely on dynasty football. Um, we're going to start each episode with uh, a stock watch, if you will, where we'll examine a few rises and a few fallers from week to week. And then we're going to get into a different topic each week. This week, we're actually going to be talking about uh, how to spot a breakout player at every single position before the breakout actually happens. For sure. That's the most valuable part of Dynasty. And we all know the studs. We all know our Christian McCaffrey's, our Ezekiel Elliott's, our Alvin Kamara's. We know those guys. Those are the lifebloods of our team. But basically, being able to spot that guy who can, let's not say like enter that level, but potentially can be one of those top-of-the-line studs on your team before it happens is ultimately critical. I mean, we're going to mention, for example – Guys later on, like George Kittle, I mean, there was one point he was that fifth round rookie coming off his uh, rookie season where like he wasn't the top two consensus or top consensus dynasty tight end that he is now. So being able to spot guys like that, because there are guys like that every year is how you win your dynasty leagues and be competitive for years to come. So you can take it away. I'm super pumped. Exactly. Because you know what? Would you rather be buying George Kittle now or would you rather have bought him three years ago and you just got him for so much cheaper than <laughs> you would now? Um, and that is the key in being successful in Dynasty. It's knowing how to spot that breakout player. But before we get into that, I want to get into some uh, stock risers and stock fallers. So I got four for each category. Uh, my first riser that I'm going to talk about today is going to be Steven Sims, uh, wide receiver from the Washington Redskins. So I, I still don't understand why he's not getting more hype. I mean, it's finally starting to generate around him. But over the last three weeks of the season, he had 100 – he had over 180 receiving yards and he had four touchdowns and that's over just the final three weeks. Um, his hype was not anywhere near where it should be until the Kelvin Harmon injury that happened uh, about a week or two ago now. Um, so people are finally starting to recognize Steven Sims in the dynasty community. Uh, I think you could still buy him pretty cheap, even though his stock is on the rise. Um, but do you, do you, what do you, what do you think about Steven Sims? I, I love Steven Sims. I mean, this channel knows how high I am on Terry McLaurin, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to need a second target behind that stud. And for me, it was Steven Sims all the way this entire offseason. So for me, like the Kelvin Harmon injury, honestly, like hurts me because like I was getting him like literally like pounding the table on him. So, so cheap. And then as soon as Harmon gets hurt, people actually like look into what Steven Sims did. Like, Oh, maybe he was the number two all along. Cause there was, Kelvin Harmer and truthers all the way. And then like, as soon as he gets hurt, they're all on board the Steven Sims trade now. So hopefully his ADP doesn't arise anymore, but I'm still going to be buying him nonstop because I think he's a dynamic player. And the way he was used last year was in that type of role where like they manufactured touches for him. And as you mentioned, those last few weeks, I mean, over two, I think he had like 20, uh, two, 20 carry, uh, 20 catches, 230 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that's really good production, especially for an offense as anemic as Washington was last year. I do expect them to improve on that end with the addition of Rivera. So I'm hyped. Uh, if I can get Steven Sims as cheap as he's going, I actually got him in the fishbowl. Uh, I'm all in. So 
Yeah, absolutely. So Steven Sims definitely rising. Uh, luckily for us, he is still not quote unquote expensive in dynasty leagues. Uh, so he's a guy that I'm going out and I'm actively seeking to add in almost all of my leagues. Uh, the for next sure. riser we have while staying on the wide receivers, actually all four of these guys are wide receivers is I'm just going to group them all together. We have Julian Edelman, Robert Woods, and Jarvis Landry. So Julian Edelman, obviously, um, once Tom Brady left town, everyone was like, all right, we got to fade Edelman. He's 34 years old. He's not going to do it. And boom, they bring Cam Newton in. Suddenly, everyone remembers who Julian Edelman is again. His ADP has shot up by like two or three rounds over the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the time to buy, you're only buying Julian Edelman if you're a legitimate contender in Dynasty right now anyway. But the time to do that I think has kind of passed. Um, his, his value has kind of leveled out for the kind of player that he is. Um, so he is rising up and it's not much of a bargain situation anymore with Edelman. Yeah. Like with, with Edelman, like if it was a redraft, I'm fine with even like paying a little bit more in terms of draft capital simply because he's going to be able to produce this year. But the main question I find, like I personally had with Edelman still isn't really answered. Cause I was, I was fine with him if Statham was starting. I do think obviously Cam Newton is a big upgrade. At the end of the day, it's like if that's going to make the huge uh, leap in value between like the rest of the dynasty community, I'm most likely not going to be buying buying him unless I'm getting him cheap at the deadline and I'm a top contender. Because realistically, I mean, the main issues for me were always going to be the age and the position that he plays. Because at the end of the day, here uh, the soft position is a little bit volatile in the sense that like they're not like they're going to give you safety, but at the same time, like what are we really expecting them long term? Because I mean, we've seen guys like Colby's young. I'm not comparing him to Julian Edelman. Hunter Renfro, EDC. I mean, at the end of the day, he's kind of just like that boring type of like wide receiver two flex that people just like diminish and redraft. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm not sure what his long-term value is really impacted by the signing. Although like if I, if I'm getting Cam Newton before he signed and then he signs his value, like I know this isn't about Cam Newton, but like the value in that regard is crazy on how it affects all the weapons in the offense. Cause Again, you mentioned Edelman. I mean, I've, I've heard people choosing uh, Nikhil Harry, Devin Asiasi. Like, people are hy hyping up the rookie tight end. But uh, really, like, I was still kind of like – I was still good with Edelman before it. So, ultimately here, that only hurts, again, his perceived value for me if I was trying to buy him. Yeah, absolutely. So, he's, he's a guy that I'm personally out on at this point, in Dynasty at least, unless I'm like a legit contender, someone's looking to sell him for cheap. But his um, value is – pretty much leveling out to where it should be. He's no longer considered a steal. Um, and that's going to be the same situation exactly. with Robert Woods and Jarvis Landry. You know, um, for the last two or three years in PPR leagues, these guys have both been somewhere between the wide receiver 12 and the wide receiver 20 each of those years, um, just because they have that passing, they have that receiving volume, they have the, the upside, the weekly upside. Um, and they have kind of always snuck under the radar and you could always get them for really cheap. Um, I want to say you can still get them for cheap, but Again, their, their values are kind of leveling out. Everyone and their mother is on Twitter over the last few weeks. Yeah. And, oh, don't forget about Robert Woods. Don't forget about oh. Jarvis Landry. Well, that argument would have worked about a month ago. But now that the secret is out and these guys are no longer flying under the radar, you're not going to steal them away. Um, so they are, again, these are still guys that I'm going out. I will actively buy for the right price. But you're not going to get them as cheap as you did a month yeah. ago. It's it's crazy to me. Like every time you hop on Twitter, you just see like when people are hyping up on, on Jarvis Landry, for example, it'll be like a blind player comparison. It'll be like player A has done yada yada yada. Player B has done yada yada yada. Which one would you prefer? And then like the one that has like the better stats ends up being like Jarvis Landry. I see like 
probably like 10 accounts per day doing that type of uh, type of stuff. And it's like, yes, we know that Landry is underrated. And at the end of the day here, I mean, for, for example, with Landry, I mean, there were times where he was legitimately going at like the end of the eighth round in dynasty leagues. And that's just crazy. Uh, heck, you know, we mentioned Robert Woods too. I'm significantly higher on uh, Robert Woods than a lot of people were a month ago. Like people were having him near like the wide receiver 20. Like that's just insane. So, I mean, with Robert Woods, for example, I got him uh, in, my, in one of my latest startups at like the middle to the end of the seventh round. And, like now you're seeing them, like his ADP is adjusting, it, adjusting itself accordingly. Like he's getting in that round five area. Like I've seen him go at the end of the round four at some times. And that's where he should be. Like I'm fine taking him here because at the end of the day here, he is a, a low end wide receiver one, high end two in my opinion. And that's like his – like what I expect, like he's got the ceiling if he improves on the touchdowns to get into that wide receiver eight to 10 range. So I really love both those players. And uh, again, I'm sad that their ADP is uh, adjusting itself, but I'm still willing to buy, especially at the right price, as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So those are the risers that we have for this week. And then conversely, we have the fallers. Um, This is not new news, but I'm going to bring it up because eventually the ball has to stop rolling. And that's Aaron Jones. Um, I mean, his dynasty value has fallen tremendously. I got him at like the sixth overall pick of the third round in my most recent startup. He just finished 2019 as like the overall RB2, only behind Christian McCaffrey in PPR leagues. Um, the, the, The amount of concern that A.J. Dillon is bringing in for fantasy owners is just absolutely absurd. Like everyone thinks that this means Aaron Jones isn't going to be on the team. We don't know that. We're just speculating. This Aaron, or AJ Dillon could literally just be the answer for when they let Jamal Williams walk next year. Like you, like nobody knows what's going on. And at the very least, you're getting one more incredible season out of Aaron Jones. Like no matter how this swings. So the the fact that his he is like one of my favorite go out and buy right now because oh. I've seen him sold for like a second round what? pick in a couple of leagues, and it's just absurd. It's insanity. Like, if you're a contender and you still have your first round pick, and realistically, that's probably going to be in the 108 to 112 range, gauge the value of a guy like Aaron Jones. Because there are owners right now, if they're not competing, they want to sell, they want to extrapolate value. All you hear people in the dynasty community, oh, do you see how good the 2021 draft looks right now? Man, that that draft's going to be fantastic. People are speculating like a year and a half away. Like, uh, it's just. It's it's insane. Like I heard people already talking about like the 2022 draft. Oh, how high is uh, Kadon Slovis and freaking Sam Howell going to go? People in the in the community are freaks like that, myself included. So if you're able to grab a value like Aaron Jones, for example, like he's he's still going to be uh, an RB one this year. Like obviously we know the narrative right now. Like the touchdown regression is going to hit, but at the same time, I mean he is the number two weapon in the passing game. I mean, you want to hype up Alan Lazard? You want to hype up Devin Funches? I've heard people talk about Devin Funches. Like, Devin Funches, I loved him at Michigan. You loved him in Carolina, but he's just not the player that people touted him to be. So I don't understand why people want to, like, harp on that when at the end of the day, their second most talented receiver is their running back. It's Aaron Jones. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you're getting an uber-efficient player and an offense that wants to run the ball and uh, is in line to see a ton of targets. I mean, he's the smash buy if you need uh, – if you need, a, you can get him as a freaking, like, RB2 flex given his price in Dynasty right now. So if you're contending, make sure you get him everywhere because he's going to be a good contributor for, the, uh, for this year especially. 
I have them, uh, I, I even feel low. I have them at 12, but I've seen people legitimately, even in redraft, have them at like 16, 17. I'm like, how? The guy yeah. is coming off an RB2 finish. So yeah, I, I definitely like that, especially if you're a contender. You can get that production this year and he is ultimately going to uh, really balance out your roster and give you a ton of fucking points. Uh, you don't even have to pay an RB1 price for him. You can get him as your RB2, even freaking flex, I can see. So, I mean, 108, 112, you have that, and people are fucking selling like freaking hotcakes because that's all people do in Dynasty. Go in and scoop that value. So, I agree. Yeah, so his value is falling. This, I don't think it's going to fall much farther, if at all, um, especially once training camp starts up again. He's going to start getting the coach hype. The coaches are going to come out and say, oh, like this is still Aaron Jones. He's just sharing it a little bit here and there. Um, just to bring it up really quick, Aaron Jones is not going to forfeit all these goal line touches to A.J. Oh, Dillon. That's uh, the news, stupidest news narrative for, Well, exactly. Newsflash for everyone. Aaron Jones, believe it or not, was the most efficient goal line running back of 2019. I'm going to leave it at that, and we're going to move on. Take that how you will, people. Uh, oh, but he's not a big back. I know. But who cares? Because <laughs> you know what? He had 16 rushing touchdowns. Literally. But anyway, moving on to the next faller, we have Darren Waller. No run intended there. Um, people are afraid of two things, and that's one of Jason Witten. Let's relax here, people. <laughs> and two, that Darren Waller had some kind of outlier season. You, you don't you don't get that much chemistry with a quarterback and just say that's going to be an outlier season. Um, so for that reason, Darren Waller's stock is falling and falling and falling. And again, in that same dynasty startup where I got Aaron Jones in the third round, I got Darren Waller in like the seventh or eighth round. And it's Jeez. like, what is going on here that this is just falling so much? There is almost no world where Aaron Jones doesn't finish as a top 10 running back and Darren Waller doesn't finish as a top five tight end. Both of these guys you can get for so dirt cheap right now and you have to do it because they are falling that hard. I agree. I mean, heck, I, I remember before the, the draft, you know, the rookie hype, everything, draft picks get valued like crazy. I had like a mid-second round pick and I had Ian Thomas. And you know Ian Thomas, he's, he's on your team. I traded Ian Thomas in a mid-second for Darren Waller. And I was like, this is, a, this is a two tight end, tight end premium league. Oh, my God. And I got Don, Darren Waller for that team. I mean, the narrative behind him, his, his perceived value uh, tanking. Oh, did you see the splits when Hunter Henry was – or not Hunter Henry. Hunter Renfro was more involved. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Let's be honest with <laughs> you. He's the number like, – Hunter Renfro isn't denting freaking Darren Waller. Darren Waller is a fucking beast. He's the number one target in their offense. I love Henry Ruggs, but that was the best fit for them in terms of keeping Darren Waller at his volume. Because at the end of the day here, if they brought Jerry Judy, if they brought CeeDee Lamb, that obviously the targets would be impacted more. And I love Ruggs, but uh, they're such a good fit beside each other. you got a seam stretcher uh, in the middle with Darren Waller, and you got a guy uh, in Henry Ruggs who can take slants to the house, who can beat you deep. He's that ultimate type of, uh, as Corey likes to say, Terry McLaurin type. it, it boggles my mind when people want to say, oh, Darren Waller is not the player that he was last year. So, so, so. Like, he is still the number one target in that offense. He built that rapport with Derek Carr. And in general, I mean, he was one of the, mo- the most breakout dynamic players at the position. We're going to talk about him later because we're uh, going to say how to spot a breakout. But, man, I'm all in on Darren Waller. Like, he's, he's my tight end five for redraft. In Dynasty, I mean, most likely – I still got to revise those rankings because those – I haven't updated since like April, but man, he's still going to be in that five, six range. So realistically, if people are selling him 
and you can get him at a value. As you mentioned, the eighth round in a fucking startup is nonsense. Like he, he's a player, like I'm fine with taking at the end of the fifth, middle of the sixth type area. And he's going at the eighth. Like that's just insane. Like he's clearly entrenched in that second tier, in my opinion. Uh, I would have Andrews ahead of him. I would have Waller ahead of Ertz. That's how I currently have it, simply because, especially in Dynasty, people, nobody even mentions. This guy signed a long-term contract. He is under an extension right now. That's huge in Dynasty because we all love the situation that he has with Oakland. We saw what Derek Carr was able to do with him. He is locked up. And people, people, you don't see people like talking about contract situations, but that's a huge part of Dynasty. And in general, if you're going to devalue Darren Waller, I'm going to scoop him in every league I am with whoever actually is. So love that. Love that he's falling. I'll just keep gobbling that value. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about as uh, a Dynasty follower is going to be Raheem Mostert. So it's not like he has a, it's not like he has a ton of value in Dynasty leagues, but he does have a ton of short-term value, whether it's in redraft or Dynasty. Obviously, there is the trade rumors looming. Um, there was a couple of reports saying that he sat down with some of the higher ups in San Francisco and kind of talked it out, but we still haven't received final word as to what's going on. I mean, there's a ton of time between now and the start of the 2020 season. So uh, God only knows what's going to happen with Raheem Mostert. He is like one of those rare cases where even though his, his uh, value has fallen, um, I'm probably still shying away from buying him because if he does somehow move from San Francisco, I don't think he will. Uh, but if he does somehow move from San Francisco, he's got – I mean, his value is just decimated right there. I mean, I agree. I'm uh, – like, at the beginning of the offseason, I'm like, you know what, Raheem Mostert, he's going to be a stud. We saw what he did in the playoffs. I mean, he single-handedly basically beat Green Bay in the NFC Championship. We know that. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's still a concern because the volatility of the San Francisco backfield in terms of who's going to lead – the team in touches that very week is so all over the place. I mean, we still got guys uh, we mentioned like Tevin Coleman is still a good running back. Jarek McKinnon, like I know, okay, he got hurt. He hasn't played in two years. Like I get that, but I mean, they still have him under contract for a reason. They're still committed to his rehab. I'm sure that if like, if he gets the opportunity, he's going to be involved. So, I mean, at the end of the day here, even in redraft, I would value like people. I've seen some people say, Oh, I'm all in. I have like RB 16. It's like, I can see that upside, but at the same time, the the floor is just so low. And we see guys like, I don't know, I don't want to say this has like an Alex Collins type feel to it. If you remember the Ravens running back from a couple years ago, but at the end of the day here, like it's so risky to the point where I'm not even touching him in redraft. So the fact is like, if I have him in dynasty, I am scared shitless because at the end of the day here, you're not really, I know I keep saying at the end of the day here, but uh, <laughs> you can't really sell them for, of like a huge value. Like maybe you get what a mid second note of him at this point, like yeah. realistically. Uh, but at the same time, it's like your best bet is just holding him and hoping he gets the main role. But I mean, if I don't have him, I'm not touching him playing simple. But if I do have him, I'm kind of just riding it out and see what happens because his upside is like more than where his value is at. But at the same time, his floor is just like whatever. Like he's just, he's just a, a jag. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and our last dynasty follower, I'm going to stay on topic of guys that I just think you should hold. And that's going to be David Montgomery. Um, yeah. You're not going to be able to sell him for what you paid for him. Chances are you bought him with the third overall or fourth overall pick of your rookie draft last year. Um, he's got efficiency issues on this offense, um, but the volume is a thousand percent there. Um, there is not many running backs that are going to be used as much as David Montgomery is going to be used. And that's, 
that's just a fact. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where people are getting inside their heads and they are fading David Montgomery and maybe they should because the efficiency issues are there, but in fantasy football, volume is absolute king, and yeah. David Montgomery's guaranteed to see it. So he's one of those guys where if I have him, I'm holding him, and if I don't have him, I'm at least reaching out and seeing what the, uh, the Montgomery value. owner values him at because chances are you might be able to steal at least an RB2 uh, for kind of cheap. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, I have him a little bit lower in redrafts, basically. I think that's more so a little bit like – there's a little bit of bias from last year. I was one of those guys that was harping him, harping him. Oh my God, wow, he's going to have so much opportunity. I'm so happy. And then I ultimately got burned. But I mean, if you're getting him like cheap, especially like the, the, the thing is, is that his value is so spread out, uh, spread out across the fantasy football landscape. You guys, you got guys on one end that are like toting him as like Jesus basically. And like, or saying, oh yeah, he's going to be like a top 10 running back. I've seen people say that. And then on the other end, you got people that say, oh, yeah, he's just another bomb that's playing for the, the Bears. I probably land somewhere in the middle. I think I have him as my, my RB24 right now, RB25 around there. And that's basically more so because I just don't really, like, see the top, what, 8 to 10 upside. But this is a dynasty we're talking about. I was talking about my redraft ranks. This is a dynasty we're talking about. He's going into his second year. He's still two years under contract. And he's, as you said, who knows? Every, you see a lot of guys struggle as a rookie, plain and simple. So with David Montgomery, like realistically, like you can't get worse than where he was as a rookie. And as a rookie, he was still, uh, I believe, RB25. So, I mean, plain, plain and simple, if he's able to keep that opportunity, I mean, we know he's not going to be the most involved in the passing game because of Tariq Cohen. But again, he's very, uh, he gets a lot of volume, especially on the goal line. And in general, we saw 267 touches from him last year. So realistically, if he, if he can build off that, I can see him giving you a return on value. It's just, my personal thing with him is that I can't like buy into like the upside, but if I'm getting him cheap and I'm getting him as like a low end RB two high end, like type of flex play, like I'm all in at that point. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, uh, especially like I've seen him go in like the late fifth of dynasty leagues, like mid, mid to late fifth. And I'm like, if he's going that cheap, like I'll, I'll pick him up like plain and simple. Cause realistically because of age, like he should be going probably in the fourth round type area. So, uh, definitely he's one where like you gauge the value that the Montgomery owner in your league has and you make a decision based off that because his value is literally one of the most spread I have seen across the dynasty community. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, that's, that's pretty much where I'm standing at it too. I mean, you, you go on Twitter and a, a lot of the, a lot of the risers and fallers that I'll have on here, a lot of it has to do with both real stories and what I'm seeing on Twitter, because, yeah. you know, obviously you and I both follow a lot of people that are heavily into fantasy football and Twitter. Well, the most important thing you can do is find out the community's perceived value of, of a player because that is going to typically what it's going to be in your league unless, you know, the David Montgomery uh, share is owned by a Chicago Bears fan or, or, or something like that. You know, that is typically how most people are going to work, see what the community consensus is like. Um, and that's why I have David Montgomery as a follower on here because even though I personally uh, regard him a little higher than most people, purely based off the volume, um, there are people that are doing the exact opposite purely based off of the inefficiencies. Yeah, agreed. I'm probably a little bit like leaning towards the inefficiencies, but at the same time, I do see uh, the potential to make the jump. But yeah, aside from that, let's uh, get into the bread and butter of the, of the uh, sorry, of the episode. <laughs> My bad. I, I just had a complete brain fart. And talk about how to spot a breakout. So you can start off with your uh, how to spot a quarterback breakout. 
Yeah, well, so we'll start with quarterbacks. Now, quarterbacks are a bit different when spotting. So very rarely are you going to get a quarterback prior to breakout unless you draft them in a rookie draft. So obviously we're talking about dynasty here, which means 99% of the time you're probably going to have a rookie draft. Um, so in order to spot a first-year quarterback, you want to make sure that they have the rushing upside. So you have, you, you have Kyler Murray who came in last year and performed outstandingly. You know, he had his he, – he's got – Plenty of rushing yards. He can still get it done in the air. Um, he had a ton of promise. Plus, he had that draft capital, number one overall. You know that he's going to get thrown right into the fire. You know that he's going to be used. Um, same thing this year with, with Joe Burrow. Now, he doesn't have the same rushing upside, but you know that even, like, Cincinnati released Andy Dalton, and you know that Joe Burrow is going to start and that he's going to get the immediate opportunity. So that is the most important thing when searching for quarterbacks. You want to see – their draft capital, and you want to see if they have immediate opportunity. Um, the, the other guys, you know, if they come in and they're slated to be a backup for two or three years, okay, yeah, maybe wait it out two or three years, and right before the, the baton is about to be passed on the team, reach out to the whoever owner in your league and say, hey, I know he's still just a backup quarterback. Let's, let's talk this out. And maybe that's how you can kind of go about it. But with quarterbacks, it's, it's really tough to play the – guess the breakout game because there's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the league at any given time. So people are more in tune with the news and the possibilities of each of the quarterbacks. So with those guys, I would just highly recommend either starting right off at the rookie draft or just remembering your rookie research two, two years down the road before the QB becomes a starting QB in the league. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I mean, that's, that's more so specifically targeted at the Superflex. Uh, like, scoring or lineup if you i don't even know how to describe it super flex leagues basically uh especially in super flex because you got in super flex you got guys literally hoarding quarterbacks you get like i've done that a couple times so at the end of the day here making sure that you have that value especially out of the rookie draft if you're able to hit because at the end of the day if they're going to be a good quarterback the cheapest you'll ever get them is during the rookie draft because if they hit at the quarterback position if, and it's a super flex league like they're going in the first round they're going in the second round Six, the six consensus top quarterbacks in Superflex drafts in terms of dynasty are all going within the first, what, 16, 17 overall picks. And the only reason that Russell Wilson's falling that far is because of his age. So, I mean, hitting on that quarterback is crucial. Uh, my biggest, like, takeaways in terms of hitting at the quarterback position, I mean, we know how, uh, unless there's a clear opportunity for production for lower selected players, a la Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Gardner Mitchell, I mean, they were – all uh, day three picks, but they got an opportunity to get significant playing time earlier in their careers. Other than that, my main takeaway for the quarterback position is that it's so crucial in having the proper draft capital. I mean, if you're looking at across the league, there's 32 starters, as you mentioned. 27 of the 32 teams in the NFL have a starting quarterback that was selected in the first two rounds. I mean, I, I mentioned the, uh, the three, and then we have a couple guys that were selected in third. But realistically, it gets imperative to value the draft output because that just shows you how much willing opportunity a team is willing or uh, going to give the quarterback in the next few years, especially on the on their uh, rookie contract. So, for me, uh, especially you mentioned the rushing upside and four point quarterback uh, quarterback passing touchdown leagues, rushing upside is imperative. You need a quarterback that's going to give you a rushing baseline. Otherwise, their value is simply not going to produce that top five upside, which in reality, if you're drafting a quarterback to be a starter on your dynasty league and he doesn't have top five, five upside, you should really reconsider what you're doing because 
at the end of the day here, those are the guys that are going to give you the, uh, the advantage above the, the rest of the quarterback position. So, I mean, for me, again, four-point passing touchdown leagues, target the uh, rushing upside. In six-point, it becomes a little bit more uh, evened out. Like, you have guys that are going to pass for a ton of volume. They do kind of, like, even themselves to the rushing, but I'd still prefer getting a guy who can kind of have the uh, flexibility, versatility to do both. And uh, for me, you mentioned, or I mentioned the non-superflex versus the superflex slash two quarterback leagues. And in non-superflex, like in a one QB league, I'm, I'm just punching the position. I'm not going to be the guy who's taking Lamar in the second round, Patty in the second round. Because at the end of the day here, like their, their value, yes, it's going to be super nice. But at the same time, would you rather a running back like an Austin Eckler in the second round? Uh, or would you rather take a quarterback and then having to take like a, an eighth, ninth round running back where you typically take a quarterback? So at the end of the day here, it's just balancing out scarcity versus uh, uh, upside. The quarterback position in a one quarterback league is just like so open, so many options that to the point where you just don't need it as much. Like realistically, if every team's rostering two quarterbacks in a typical 12 team league, there's still going to be eight starters on the wire. Whereas in the Superflex slash QQB, the reason why the value is pushed so high is say for a baseline, you can start two quarterbacks. Every team's typically going to take, uh, going to cater to a bench quarterback. That's more quarterbacks being owned than there are starters in the league. That's 36 in a typical 12 team league. So realistically in a uh, superflex or two QB leagues, the quarterback value goes through the roof specifically because they're the, the scarcity of the position becomes, uh, I wouldn't say on par with the running back position, but definitely like a close type second. But at the same time, the reason why their value is given is because of the longevity of the position uh, with their scarcity. So, I mean, you just got to evaluate what type of league you're in, but hitting on the quarterback position, especially in a super flex is what gives you the value because people will overpay for that position if they don't have it in the super flex league. Yeah. And like you were saying, in, in one quarterback leagues, I pretty much punt the position too. I yeah. mean, my, my mantra in dynasty leagues, sure. If, if a guy that I genuinely believe in as a quarterback starter falls to me in like the mid or the late second round of a rookie draft, sure. Maybe I'll go out, I'll take him. I'll see what happens because whatever it's, it's a late second round pick. Like I don't care, but I'm never going to be that guy, especially in a non super flex league to reach on a guy in the first round. I mean, there's, there's just no reason for that. So what I've typically done in dynasty leagues is I'll just go with the older guys. Like I have Ryan Tannehill and Matt, Matt Ryan on what on my main dynasty roster right now and I'm more than happy with that because you know what I don't have to revisit it for at least another two or three years so many things are going to happen between now and then chances are I'll find another old guy on the waivers between now and then and he'll be relevant for a year or two anyway so unless you're in a super flex league um, spotting that breakout quarterback while it can help you in the long run it's not exactly worth it to go out of your way to to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me specifically, you mentioned the because uh, you're uh, in more one quarterback leagues. For me, uh, with my dynasty leagues uh, being like mostly super flex, I'm on like the opposite side because as I mentioned, the scarcity becomes so much more imperative in that two quarterback super flex uh, lineup setting that at, at the end of the day here, like you can hoard the position as I kind of mentioned in the intro uh, area, like hoarding the position, like while it kind of seems like douchey across the league, if you will, like it's, it brings so much value, especially if there's that guy who's looking at his position and realistically has like Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterback too, he's going to spend up. So at the end of the day here, if, if you can get players at value and be able to flip them for more value later on, I mean, you're going to have to be a little bit more of a veteran in dynasty leagues to be able to do that. Cause you have to understand like how to flip players out of profit. But I mean, it's so rewarding because I have a, a roster where I had basically four 
top 10 quarterbacks and the 101 and end up flipping that. I showed you that team with like Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara. Like, and that's what happens because people are going to give you that increase in value. And then as soon as you get a little increase in value, just being able to accumulate value, accumulate value, you can end up spending and getting those type of top guys. So really here uh, in, in super flex leagues, why I prefer them is because more players have a lot of value. Like the quarterback position is huge. So uh, especially talking about the quarterback league, just know your uh, your league settings beforehand. If you're in a one QB, don't value it as much. If you're in a super flex two QB, you know that their value is imperative. So uh, what are your main takeaways at the running back position? So when it comes to spotting the breakout running back, now this is one of those things where it does mostly start at the rookie draft as well. So the first thing that you're going to want to do with uh, running backs is you want to examine their draft capital. So in most cases, the starting running backs on each team are drafted within the first three rounds, right? Um, obviously, anyone with a first round draft capital automatically gets bumped up because you're like, hey, wow, that team really wanted that guy, went out, they believe in him, all the scouts believe in him, whatever, cool. Um, so examining draft capital is probably the most important thing uh, to running backs because it'll kind of show you how that NFL team is ready to use that person. Um, and then while we're doing that, you want to examine the actual landing spot as well as the short-term opportunity. So just for example, when Christian McCaffrey came in, right, he was drafted um, in the top 10 picks back in 2017 to Carolina. And some people were skeptical, even though he was a top 10 pick, some people were skeptical because he was behind Jonathan Stewart. Um, his ability was in the receiving game, but Cam Newton has never typically hyper-targeted a running back um, in, in the passing game. Um, but most people weren't looking at it from the right angle. See, Jonathan Stewart only had, I believe, a year, maybe two years left on his contract at the time. And Cam Newton had never had a guy that he could throw to um, and, and the running back be that reliable before. So you have to see from the bigger picture, you have to examine the player's skill set and you have to examine the short-term opportunity. Know when those running back contracts are up and know when your rookie running back is going to have a chance to kind of come in and be the guy. Um, there were some websites and there were some people out there that weren't even toting Christian McCaffrey as a top three, top four running back uh, for fantasy leagues or dynasty leagues because they were like, yeah, he's probably just going to be one of those third down Duke Johnson type of guys. And you, you don't take that in the top 10. <laughs> no, exactly. You don't take that in the top 10. And that is the definition of combining the draft capital with the landing spot um, and the short-term opportunity. Now, obviously, it's hard to gauge a running back's long-term opportunity because, again, running backs get drafted by almost every team every single year, whether it's a fourth-round pick, a first-round pick, a seventh-round pick, whether it's someone they're bringing in undrafted, like Austin Eckler was an undrafted runner. Yeah. Um, but the, the third most important thing with running backs, especially in fantasy today, most leagues are not standard. Most leagues are at least half PPR or full-point PPR. So it comes down to, okay – is this guy capable of being a third down back? Is he going to be able to come in and pass block and catch on a regular basis? Um, so you combine all of these things together, and that is how you land a stud running back within the first two to three years of his career. Agreed. I mean, you, you, you hit it right on the head, basically, what I was going to mention. Uh, this position, uh, we know, I mentioned it, has a much shorter uh, shelf life of elite play uh, compared to the quarterback and wide receiver positions. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to want to win your fantasy leagues, it is imperative to hit on the upside of a top, a top running back. 
because as I mentioned, as scarce as the position is, realistically, those are the guys that are going to be winning you your league. So as you mentioned, the draft capital and overall situation uh, becomes much more important than as we'll, we'll, we'll get into the receiver position uh, specifically. But um, in general, like the situation comparatively is just so much of a larger impact on the potential upside. Again, a player in a great situation, like why we love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, is ultimately going to just present more upside in terms of scoring, in terms of reception, in terms of offensive success. So at the end of the day here, you really want to get guys uh, who are going to be staples in their offense on an offense that can actually move, move the ball and get some points on the board. So realistically, you mentioned, I need a back who's going to be able to handle himself in the rushing game and the receiving game and ultimately have the opportunity to step in the significant role for their offense. I mean, year one, I will, obviously, you, you need to see some sort of production and opportunity. But, I mean, in terms of the opportunity, yeah, you got to kind of look at the, uh, the settings around them. Like, for example, we look at Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We all love those guys long-term in Dynasty. But at the end of the day here, Marlon Mack and uh, Damian Williams are still there at least for one year. But the thing that gets me is the expiring contracts for those guys. So, I mean, year two and on, they're going to be the staples of their offense. So, really, realistically, being able to gauge that in terms of like an analyzing a player, like that's not really going to affect it for me. If now, if, if you're behind those guys and those guys are signed like two, three years, then I start taking into consideration like, okay, like that's pretty significant. But one year expiring contracts, they're going to be the guys year two and on especially. So I'm not too worried. Uh, the main thing for me, which ultimately helps me in projecting like a, a leap is efficiency. Because you mentioned a guy like Austin Eckler. He is one of the most efficient backs in the league. We know this. We saw it even when he got that increased workload. We saw it years past where he was like coming in for third down work and he was producing like six and a half yards a touch. You know, oh my God, like this guy can really perform on the limited sample size. So when he did get that opportunity, I mean, we saw last year, he was a top, top two running back when Melvin Gordon was gone, top 10 when Melvin Gordon was even there on uh, a smaller workload than we're used to seeing. So, I mean, being able to analyze all those factors in terms of job capital, production and efficiency, especially as you mentioned in terms of both the passing and, or, uh, and rushing games, are ultimately kind of how I look at the position in terms of being able to evaluate it. So efficiency is a huge, huge factor for me because if they can do something on a limited sample size, it's easier to project, it, uh, project them doing it on a bigger sample size and ultimately giving you, as I mentioned, that uh, upside. So uh, those are my main takeaways from the position and analyzing it from a dynasty perspective. Well, that's the thing. I love that you bring up Austin Eckler because he is a prime example of what to look out for uh, in a breakout player that you don't get at the rookie draft because not many people in their rookie drafts a couple years ago were purposely drafting Austin Eckler. And if they were, it was like with one of their last picks in the draft. You know what I mean? Because he was an undrafted running back. Literally nobody wanted him in the NFL. He just happened to get a chance. But if you can find those guys that come in and they play a backup role or a change of pace role and they come in and they look good and they have even though it's a small sample size they look like they could potentially be something special if they actually saw the field more often those are the kind of guys that you want to take and stash on your bench um most dynasty leagues are fairly deep you'll have at least a 20 to 25 man roster yeah. which means that you have the ability to to stash those guys so a guy like austin eckler um hopefully you stashed him a couple years ago because you saw what he could do especially in ppr leagues a guy that I would kind of compare that to right now is Chase Edmonds. Um, yeah. Chase Edmonds, very small sample size last year, but when he had it, dude, he had it. Like, he looked fantastic. I was so disappointed when they traded for Kenyon Drake and yeah. suddenly Chase Edmonds got injured and, and everything like that because it looked like Chase Edmonds was about to be, like, 
the new guy in Arizona. And he's the perfect example of a guy that you want to go out and stash. His, the starting running back, Kenyon Drake, he is currently on a one-year contract. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if he's going to be here long-term. We don't know if he's going to get hurt. We don't know what's going on. Um, so a guy like Chase Edmonds is the kind of guy that you want to go out and you want to stash on your roster because God forbid something happens or he just happens to look really good a couple of games. The coaches start looking his way. That's how you get a breakout. You look at your small sample sizes and you, you make your stash. And that is the most perfect thing that you can do if you can't control it at the rookie draft. For sure. I mean, that, that, the efficiency and overall like spotting the talent and limiting sample sizes is ultimately going to be a big theme throughout this episode. We're going to mention in the wide receiver and the tight end positions as well. But uh, yeah, you hit it right on the head. I mean, Chase Edmonds, we've touted on this channel. Like we really love the potential he has. We saw what he was able to do when he got the opportunity. And in general, like I love, I love Kenyon Drake for redraft. He's great, but you mentioned like he's not secure long term. And in general, we haven't seen how he's going to be able to fare over a 16-game season. So realistically, if you're stashing Chase Edmonds, like he can ultimately provide you some standalone value and be a huge contributor if anything were to happen to Drake. So I really like that, especially uh, if you, you can get him super cheap right now. Like realistically, like I've seen people sell him for like a third, and it's like, how is he going for a fucking third? Because realistically. He should be worth it probably around a mid-second. So being able to spot value uh, in Dynasty is ultimately what's going to pay off uh, in the long term. So definitely love that Chase Edmonds pick. He's definitely one to watch. Uh, talking about the wide receiver position. Real, get real quick before we oh, move go on to the wide receivers. Yeah. I do want to give everyone, because you know what we're, we're talking about, okay, how to spot a breakout. Well, we got to have at least one or two breakouts at hand. Right. So yeah. if, if anybody knows me, if anyone follows me on Twitter, if you have even seen me breathe, you probably know that I'm a big DeAndre Swift fan. Um, and I'm going to tout him as my running back breakout candidate uh, for as soon as this year, if not definitely by next year. And he is the perfect combination of everything that we kind of highlighted. He's the third overall pick of the second round. His competition, a.k.a. Carrion Johnson, has yet to play a fully healthy season in the NFL. And while he looks good when he's on the field, he was less than efficient in 2019. So there is potential uh, concerns that he's going to have a full usage. Um, DeAndre Swift was also highly regarded as by most people, whether it's in the fantasy industry or just the regular scouting reports. DeAndre Swift was supposed to be the first running back taken off the board on draft day. And he was only three spots behind the first running back taken off the board on draft day. Um, for most fantasy analysts, until Jonathan Taylor came out and put together a hell of a combine, DeAndre Swift was like the consensus RB1 for Dynasty Leagues. And now I'm seeing him being picked fifth, sixth, seventh, even eighth overall in rookie drafts. Yeah. And it, it's just the, the stars are potentially going to perfectly align for DeAndre Swift because he has that talent. He's He's that third down back that you could possibly want. There's a ton of short-term opportunity. There's a ton of long-term opportunity. Uh, the, Detroit, the, Detroit Lions, the, the Detroit Lions offense looked phenomenal last year until Matt Stafford went down. And if Matt Stafford's back and he's fully healthy, if he can even bring back a portion of that kind of magic that he was showing on that offense last year, uh, if DeAndre Swift gets his chance, DeAndre Swift is going to run away with this job as soon as this year and for that reason, he is my number one breakout candidate at the running back position. I fully agree. I mean, we all know how uh, high on DeAndre Swift. <clears throat> Me, you, and Corey are uh, 
it's just insane. Like I've seen him in redraft go off the board as like the RB like 26, 27. And like, that makes no sense to me because yes, carry on had his opportunity. People still hold on to the hope that he can be a bell cow, which pains me because he like, I liked him out of college, but realistically DeAndre Swift is a far superior running back, like far superior. And we saw carry on Johnson 16 opportunities per game last year or 16 touches, sorry. 16 touches per game last year when he was healthy. DeAndre Swift is going to provide you uh, a better bill of health. I mean, we all know that Karen Johnson can't stay on the field. And giving DeAndre Swift 16 touches would literally result in five catches, a touchdown. I mean, he is such a dynamic talent. I mean, he was my uh, RB2 uh, in the draft process, as you mentioned, like Jonathan Taylor uh, from an athletic standpoint. Yes, we know that. But realistically – in terms of just let's just talk about redraft for a second. DeAndre Swift is the running uh, running back one or two, at the very minimum two in redraft because if you want to talk PPR, I can see you making a, a case for Clyde. But man, DeAndre Swift is my RB seventeen in redraft. He's going around like the 26, 27 range. Scoop up that value if he's there in your fourth, fifth round. Like plain and simple, like that's that's a steal. That's like taking candy from a freaking baby. So uh, <laughs> talk like we're all we are all in on DeAndre Swift. Uh, anything you want to add on him before we go to the receivers? No, other than stop sleeping on him and go out and get him. Um, exactly. he is, this is the cheapest he will ever be. Being able to get him at the sixth overall pick of a rookie draft is, I promise you, going to be the cheapest you'll be able to get him. Granted, maybe after the second or third game of the season, uh, when he still hasn't done too much yet, maybe he's a tad bit cheaper then. But I guarantee by week four or five or six, DeAndre Swift is going to see plenty of time on the field as a Detroit Lion. And the only reason why I don't think he's going to do it sooner is because of the lack of preseason games. Um, I fully agree there. Yeah, so I think, and I think we're going to see that with a lot of rookie running backs this year. It's going to be a slow start. Um, People are, people might panic sell in all the rookie running backs, including Clyde Edwards and Jonathan Taylor. So just keep your eyes out on all that kind of stuff. Um, But DeAndre Swift, that is what you look for in a breakout candidate. And that is who you should be looking at. Uh, Moving on to the wide receivers. So spotting a breakout wide receiver might be even more, might be the most imperative thing that you can do in, in dynasty leagues because running backs, they're going to hold their value for three, four, maybe five years. Tight ends, they're typically going to do the same because most tight ends don't break out until year two or three anyway. And with quarterbacks, we talked about how in single quarterback leagues, you don't really got to worry about them. In super flex leagues, they're all taken at the start anyway. So like whatever, but the wide receivers, this is how, you can build a true dynasty. Um, and, you know, like, like imagine going out and getting Chris Godwin before he was highly toned, or Kenny Galladay or Michael Thomas or, or, or what have you. Um, if you can get these guys at cheap, that is going to be the best way to keep your draft, like your, your draft picks and your core starters and still have those up and coming guys. So, when talking about wide receivers, you want, you want to look at their draft capital, but you have to remember it's not the tell-all um, because there are so many wide receivers. Um, not that he's broken out yet, but I'm going to bring up Hakeem Butler from the Arizona Cardinals. Um, many, many fantasy people this time a year and a half ago were saying, oh, yeah, he's going to be like a top five, top six fantasy receiver out of this class, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets drafted on day three of the draft and suddenly nobody wants to touch him anymore. So one of the things with wide receivers is that you have to remember your own research. You know, if you were high on a guy during, during the draft season, during his rookie year, and he just hasn't done much over the first two or three years of his career, 
maybe he just hasn't had the opportunity to break out. I mean, a guy like Hakeem Butler is going to sit behind DeAndre Hopkins. He's sitting behind Larry Fitzgerald. He's sitting behind Christian Kirk, a brand new offense. Um, they got the new shiny toys with, with Kyler Murray and, of course, the new coaching staff. So remember a guy like that two or three years down the line, take him for cheap, and then hope that you did your correct research um, around the draft. Um, but if you're looking for an immediate breakout player, you do want to look for, as with any position, you want to look for the clear opportunity and the future opportunity. And that's one thing that I'll bring up with Michael Thomas. So Michael Thomas was a second round uh, draft pick in real life, but New Orleans had no legitimate wide receiver. People knew that he was going to come in and probably be their number one guy. Now, not many people were expecting a thousand yard uh, season in his rookie year because you, you don't typically see that from, from most rookie most rookie receivers but that is the prime example of where opportunity comes into play um, and while we're still talking about opportunity you want to look at future opportunity too Chris Godwin for example came in he was a third round draft pick a few years ago and he looked good in his small sample sizes he looked like a competent receiver but Tampa Bay had Deshaun Jackson and Tampa Bay had their tight ends and Tampa Bay had Mike Evans and there was never a whole lot of opportunity for Chris Godwin. And suddenly he started getting the attention as soon as Deshaun Jackson left. And he was most people's prime breakout candidate this time last year at the wide receiver position, which we have proven. Okay. Yes, he definitely broke out. He was fantastic. But much like we were talking about with the Austin Eckler situation, you want to pay attention to those small sample sizes because eventually these receivers, especially these top two, top three round receivers, they're going to get their opportunities. And you want to spot that before the opportunity is actually there. Yeah, fully. Like, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, being able to spot the, uh, the overall uh, talent right away, for example, like you stick to your evaluations because realistically uh, you, you should be able to tell uh, a talented receiver when you see one. But again, as you mentioned, that has to be balanced with the fact that they need a significant opportunity in both the short and long term to really return that type of value. So my big thing, as you mentioned, is we need to be patient on the wide receiver position. I mean, they're they're likely not to finish uh, with their expectation in year one. I mean, you don't just see an A.J. Brown come and produce 52 for over a thousand like every single year. Like typically you'll see like even stud rookie receivers will get in that like 800, 850 type yard range. Like we saw with like DeAndre Hopkins, for example, they'll kind of figure in that range while still kind of learning the offense. I mean, you think in terms of transitioning to the NFL, the intricacies uh, of the wide receiver position and ultimately transitioning from a college receiver to a professional receiver is a lot to really uh, gauge because I mean, you have to understand like they're still learning what their coach is preaching them in terms of routes, uh, nuance, rapport with the quarterback and in general like stepping up in competition uh between facing a college db and like stefan gilmore let's just say like it, it's a big step up for the receiver position and being able to manipulate uh their overall talent and turn it into production so ultimately here my main takeaway as i mentioned uh it stems in uh, in terms of both efficiency and being able to flash the natural talent that i associate them with right coming out of college so I mean, that's year one. I just want to see that they showed out, that they kind of like uh, had those type of splash plays, that they were able to show their talent in spots. But while I don't expect it to be consistent, because obviously as a rookie, I don't expect the natural progress, uh, production. My big year is year two. 
I need my receiver to take that step up to be a consistent production uh, or producer for my fantasy team. Because at the end of the day here, we're not going to see a lot of Devontae Parkers breaking out in their fifth year in the league. Realistically, we're going to see them start producing uh, as soon as their second year. I mean, we saw like Michael Thomas, you mentioned, had 1,000 yards as a rookie. year later, he was producing, what, 1,310? Like, you just see that natural step up. So that's why I'm really uh, really hyped with uh, some of those second-year uh, receivers this year. Like, I'm all in on Terry McLaurin. Like, plain and simple, like, if you believe in the talent and you saw it as a rookie – you're hoping to see that step up to it. Let's just say like for an elite receiver, that elite type of production, or even a good receiver being able to kind of show you what they're made of as soon as their second year. So that's my thing. Be patient in the rookie year. They're going to struggle. If you're able to get a guy that you're really high on cheap after the rookie year, because somebody's off them, go up and scoop them. Because at the end of the day here, you shouldn't be going in, taking a rookie in the rookie draft or a wide receiver in the rookie draft, expecting them to be that 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown receiver right away because it generally doesn't happen. But year two, if they don't meet your expectations, that's when I kind of keep a, an eye on what's happening because uh, I do become slightly concerned and kind of see, like, where still pe- people are still on on uh, them because, as I mentioned, like, not everybody's going to be Devontae Parker and break out in their fifth year. So that's my, that's my take on the receiver position. Yeah, so – and and going off of that, it's good to remember your research a couple of years down the line. You know, if if you were if, if you remember this guy being a hot commodity around the rookie draft and suddenly he disappeared over the last two years, you gotta look into that situation. Okay, is there a reason why he dropped off? Did he have his opportunity and he just really shit the bed? Or has he just not gotten his opportunity yet? And you know, because that's gonna be going back to Hakeem Butler and even all of the Arizona receivers. They drafted three rookie receivers last year, and none of them really got a legitimate chance, and none of them are going to get a legitimate chance this year because of that receiving core. So with rookie running backs, you do have to give it at least a couple of years and see what happens. And when you do reassess it, remember your research and examine the situation and see if he actually had the opportunity. Um, And before we move on to the tight ends, there actually is one more thing that I want to mention, and that's don't shy away from bad quarterback play. So a year and a half ago, my number one overall um, player in, in the entire 2018 draft, it wasn't a running back. It was actually A.J. Brown. I was so ridiculously high on A.J. Brown that I was prepared to take him, like, top two, top three, and no matter where I was because I, I valued him that high. Now, granted, most people did have him as a consensus top five, top six overall player, um, but then as soon as he got drafted to Tennessee, he dropped out of even the first round in, in a lot of drafts. And even me personally, I bumped him down from overall player one to like wide receiver five or six because I was so afraid of the situation. Well, clearly that's been proven wrong. The situation is always going to change. And if you're getting a wide receiver, you're not banking on them being a huge success in year one or even year two. You're banking them on being a long-term investment for your dynasty squad. And the talent is always going to show out. You know, like Marcus Mariota, we all knew he was not going to be a Tennessee Titan for another two, three years max. I mean, it ended a lot quicker than we all thought, thank God. Um, but again, the, the talent always takes precedent over the bad quarterback situation because now A.J. Brown has a competent quarterback. He showed what he can do. We're expecting a, even a year two jump. And it, it just comes back to trusting your own research as opposed to um, something that the wide receiver can't control which is the quarterback play. For sure. I mean, you saw it specifically on your own team with DJ Moore and your guy that you tell everywhere. I mean, the, the viewers got to know your love. 
for Allen Robinson. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's, that's a big key. I mean, especially with uh, Allen Robinson, we've seen him. He's been in the league, what, six, seven years at this point? It was it 2014, I believe, he was drafted? Uh, that was the Odo draft? Yeah, okay. Uh, 2014, he was drafted. I saw a breakdown by uh, Warren Sharp on Twitter, basically saying uh, his overall like uh, career targets from every quarterback that he's played with. You got guys like Blake Bortles, you got freaking Mitch Trubisky, you got like Chad Henney on there. And it's just like all these quarterbacks are absolutely fucking awful. And just in general, if Nick Foles even takes that step that we assume he's going to take over Mitch Trubisky this year, I mean, a guy like Allen Robinson is going to be basically unguardable. So, I mean, uh, we know your love – well, I know your love for Allen Robinson, and uh, that's a big kind of picture. And trust the talent at the receiver position. The quarterback position will ultimately change itself because, I mean, a guy like that was still producing with absolutely garbage, horrendous quarterback play. Uh, so, really, really love uh, that. I mean, evaluate the talent, not the situation, specifically at the wide receiver position. We kind of mentioned how that differs at the running back position because at the running back position, it's more situational rather than talent-based. But the receiver position, you get a guy that is a talent, he's going to end up being that guy regardless of the initial situation that he's in. I mean, as you mentioned, Marcus Mariota, we knew he wasn't going to be there long term. So realistically, why were we turning away from a talent like A.J. Brown, who was still getting that second-round draft capital that everybody on Twitter loves? Uh, it, it just it doesn't make sense. So trust your evaluations. Look at the landing spot. A guy like, for example, if you're looking at this year, people are scared. I've seen some people scared of C.D. Lamb. Oh, he's the third wide receiver, yada, yada, yada. We don't know how he's going to do long-term. Like, realistically, in my opinion, obviously I'm a little biased, but even before he was drafted, he was by far the best receiver in the class for me. So, realistically here, yes, there are a lot of targets, but that, that offense going to be throwing the ball a ton, first of all. Second of all, I mean, in general, we can see 3,000-yard receivers from that situation. So, oh, yeah. that, that's a guy I just kind of wanted to peek at, like, oh, maybe a situation he's, quote-unquote, the wide receiver three right now. Maybe he's not going to have that ultimate produ- uh, producing year one. But, man, long-term, like, I, I have all the faith in the world that he can – this may be bold, but I think he can honestly be a better receiver long-term than Amari Cooper. I think he can too. And that's another thing that you have to take into consideration. If you're going to look at the immediate opportunities, you have to look at the full story, not just half the story. Most people are looking at it as, oh, he's the third wide receiver on the step chart behind Cooper and Gallup. And of course, like Jarwin's there and Zeke Elliott's pass, catching passes now and Tony Pollard looked good and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Because there is something that people are greatly undervaluing. And that's the fact that there was about 165 vacated targets Bingo. In Dallas, you know, uh, Jason Witten and Randall Cobb are no longer there, right? So they 166 between those two guys alone, alone, overall 190. And people just say, oh, well, like they got this guy, that guy, that guy, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we'll, we'll mention it with, uh, uh, oh, we'll mention it right now. So, I mean, in general, actually, I was going to say, we're, we're going to mention it with the tight end next on the list. I, I mean, and Hayden Hurst, I'll get that little pin right now, where people are like, oh, they got Julio, they got Ridley, yada, yada, yada. That's the, Okay. We understand that targets are going to be spread out to those guys. But ultimately here, looking at the overall picture is going to give you an outlook on what they're going to be able to do. You mentioned uh, C.D. Lamb. Yeah, he's behind two great, fantastic receivers I love. I love Michael Gallup this year. You guys have heard me harp on Michael Gallup. He is a top 25 receiver for redraft. Plain and simple. I love Amari Cooper when he's on. But at the end of the day here, I mean, look at the situation. There's plenty of opportunity going around between those guys that there's still 
a lot left for a guy like CeeDee Lamb, even as soon as a rookie. I do believe he uh, he has the potential to be a really good rookie, but I'm tempering my expectations because of the because of the quote unquote immediate situation. But man, like don't don't fade him. I've seen some people like say, oh well, uh, I would rather just take a guy that like can step in right away and contribute. Like this is dynasty. He's a talent. He's in a good situation, playing as if before the long term. Don't sleep on it. So you mentioned that. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a little biased because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I, I'm still all in. He's my wide receiver one, and it's not close for me. Yeah, for sure. So now we'll move on to how to spot a breakout tight end. And I'm going to let you handle most of this because I've heard you, you're incredibly passionate on seeking out those tight ends. And when you and I hopped on for an ADP battles a few weeks ago, um, I, I got this entire spiel, and I was like, wow, like this, this guy knows how to find his tight end. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give my brief right here, and then I'll let you completely take away with it. Um, but for me, uh, when it comes to tight ends, opportunity is king. Obviously, this is just going to be hammered and hammered and hammered because a lot of the time, at least with short-term value, opportunity is important. Because, for example, if we're going back to the very beginning of this episode when we brought up David Montgomery, no, he's not fantastic. But the opportunity that he has is like – he's got the volume and there's not anyone there to take the volume away, at least not on first and second down. So you always want to look at opportunity, but you also have to remember that tight ends typically don't break out until around year three or year four. These guys take a while to develop. There's a lot to the tight end position. They have to pass block. They have to be an excellent uh, route runner. They have to block for their running backs. You know, there's a lot going on in the tight end position and it is one of the hardest positions um, transitioning from college to the NFL. So these guys do take a little while to, to go through it. Um, you obviously want to keep draft capital in mind. Like obviously TJ Hawkinson and Noah Font were both first round picks last year. But again, I think we brought it up earlier. George Kittle was a fifth round pick. And it, it just comes to show that you don't always need these guys to be a, a top draft pick. And sure, it helps. But Look at Baltimore. They drafted Hayden Hurst in the first round, and then they turned around and drafted Mark Andrews in the third round, and look where, look where that's taken us now. Mark Andrews is starting, and Hayden Hurst is, is down in Atlanta. So you, for short-term value with tight ends, you want to look for teams with little to no legitimate uh, receiver help, um, but you typically don't want to look at the rookies for this because, again, it's going to take them a little while to come into it. Um, my best advice for getting a breakout receiver or a breakout tight end is – Remember your draft research. So remember what TJ Hawkinson is supposed to be this time next year. Remember what Noah Font's supposed to be this time next year. Um, you and I both love Johnny Smith, and we're remembering what he's supposed to be this time three years ago. Once the opportunity comes knocking, once they've had the opportunity to develop in the NFL, once they are the starting tight end on their roster, that's when they break out. But you want to monitor all the situations. You want to get them the year before they break out, or at least at least midway through the season before they do break out. You know, remember the research, look at all the flags, see when the opportunity is going to arise, and that's when you pounce. And that's why if you went out and you got Jonu Smith either at the end of last season or this offseason before people started realizing, oh, man, it's, it's time, um, you know, this, this is how you find the breakout guys. 
For sure. I mean, you mentioned like tight end is a position where ultimately you can get one of the biggest increases on value if you project the breakout significantly. I mean, we saw George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, even Austin Hooper last year. I mean, obviously the change of scenery uh, hurt his uh, long-term value. But if you were to sell Austin Hooper right after the season when he was still an Atlanta Falcon, I mean, you could have gotten some big return on him. So overall, uh, you kind of like prefaced uh, my evaluation to spotting a breakout tight end. I, I was recently discussing with you few weeks ago on the ADP battle segment on the channel, but I have a three-step process to evaluating how, how uh, relevant a tight end's breakout would be in my, like in my own process. And uh, I'll briefly touch upon those three. It'll be natural talent. First of all, I mean, they got to be a good player. It'll be efficiency on their targets and it'll be a clear path to more targets. So I'll break down each kind of like show the audience, like my uh, overall uh, analysis in being able to do that. Some good, valuable information for you guys, but Natural talent. I mean, people are going to say, oh, it's the easiest one. No fucking shit. Like, they got to be a good player in order to break out. But, I mean, as obvious as, as obvious as it is, it's crucial in trying to see the true sleepers with star potential. So, I mean, based on my personal grades watching the players, I mean, their athletic profiles, and what I ultimately see as they translate into the NFL shows me how much stock I can really put into their player. So, as we mentioned, I mean, typically tight ends take a bit more time to develop uh, than other positions on the offense. Obviously, we like we, we've seen it. But if they show me the ability to produce on their limited sample size when they're not being featured, it is much easier for me to really anticipate a bump in production when they do get the opportunity. So mention that efficiency on targets kind of like segues uh, from that point. And then another piece, it like it stems from the ability to produce on the limited production. A tenant needs to be able to hold a certain threshold of efficiency before I can really fully buy into their ability uh, to translate when they're trusted upon as the main option at their position. So we mentioned guys like George Kittle, guys like Mark Andrews, they all kind of showed that, that type of efficiency before their breakouts uh, on their limited sample size and thrived once they got their opportunity. And like, we know what they are now. They're both consensus top tight ends in the dynasty community, arguably uh, even the top two, if you, if you uh, consider Andrews. Kelsey, I mean, at the very minimum, they're, they're two of the top three. And the big, the big one in ultimately projecting the year they're going to break out, the other two are kind of like seeing whether you should hold them or not. The big year uh, that ultimately will make or break the tight end value in terms of like their overall potential to break out is their clear path to more targets, as you mentioned. I referenced this throughout, but it goes to show how really crucial this is. Without a clear path to an increase in targets, there isn't really an opportunity for these players to thrive. So uh, we mentioned like earlier on, the top players that fit this criteria, this three-step criteria for this upcoming year are going to be Hayden Hurst and John Smith. I mean, they both possess incredible talent. As you mentioned, Hayden Hurst was a first-round pick. John Smith was a second-round pick. They were both incredibly efficient on their targets. Uh, we saw last year, I mean, if you want to break down freaking John Smith's profile, he was literally one of the most efficient uh, tight ends we'll see in a while. And uh, they enter situations where there's a clear increase in targets for them to be able to be had. So, I mean, we mentioned Hayden Hurst is going down in Atlanta where there's 258 vacated targets. We're mentioning John Smith. He easily has an opportunity with the Laney Walker ultimately retiring to step up as that tight end, a tight end one, and ultimately even be able to produce as the number two passing option on the Titans offense. So overall, if you can still have those guys for, for cheaper than uh, where I have them. And that's currently both of them being in my top 10 rankings for redraft specifically, both young guys going to be in that area for dynasty as well. There's still people that have them in like the mid teens. 
if you're able to scoop them up at that type of value and ultimately flip them if you need to even for more or hold them for more value than what you got them for. I mean, they're incredibly valuable, especially like if you're in a league and you're not trying to actively trade for those two guys, given their value now and their perceived value a year from now, I mean, it's going, it's going to ultimately pay off in the long run. I mean, I mentioned I was on guys like, uh, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, and Austin Hooper last year. The year before, I was on George Kittle. A couple years before that, I mean, Zach Ertz. I mean, they all fit the same criteria, so don't make the mistake and fade them. So uh, what are your thoughts uh, overall on, like, being able to see that criteria and match it to the players? Yes, I mean, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at a young guy, you know, like you're saying, with Hayden Hurst and Johnny Smith, that is the path to success. You just got to, you know, monitor the situation, see how long it takes for them to develop. Keep in mind what they can do this year and how they're going to be viewed next year. Um, and that's the, that's the perfect time to get them. So I couldn't agree with you more on Hayden Hurst and Johnny Smith. Um, and then if you want to look at short-term situations, even if you're just looking for a single-year breakout, maybe you're extra screwed at the tight end position and you're ready to try anything just to, just to get you there for the year. Look at those teams that have less than optimal wide receiver situations. So you can look at the Kansas City Chiefs over the last few years. Historically, they've really only used Tyreek Hill, their running back, and their, their tight end. Now, granted, Travis Kelsey is a complete different beast, so yeah. I'm not, I, I won't even count that as, as looping in. But bring in Baltimore and San Francisco. This time two years ago, most people didn't know who George Kittle was. This time last year, most people didn't know who Mark Andrews was. You've got to look at it this way. The, the receivers in San Francisco were less than stellar. The receivers in Baltimore are less than stellar. You, you put all of that together and you just say, okay, who is the tight end one on their roster? Who is getting the most coach speak? Who's getting all the praise right now? And this is when you look out and you kind of see situation by situation, okay, who's got the worst receiving core and who might actually use their tight ends this year? And that's where Darren Waller came last year because Oakland – or I guess Las Vegas now, but Oakland at the time, they really didn't have much going on. I mean, they entered the season, sure, they were about to have Antonio Brown, and then he fled the scene right before the season started. They were working with Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro as their top two guys. Everyone and their mother, if we would have paid more attention to that opportunity, we would have known that Darren Waller was going to see um, the, the usage. Now, a bit unexpected to say, okay, he's going to be a top five tight end. I don't think many people would have said that. But if you look at the opportunity, the immediate opportunity to produce, we all could have known for a fact that he would have been at least a low-end tight end one in that situation. So um, looking at things like that for short-term success, even in Darren Waller's situation, when the guy's already 27, 28 years old, you know, um, that's the perfect opportunity to, to look at if you just need a short-term guy. For sure. I mean, you, you nailed it on the head. I mean, the, the, the opportunity was clear uh, in terms of, a, uh, as I mentioned, a path to more targets. For a guy like Darren Waller, like ultimately, uh, it's not always going to happen where he goes from literally zero production to being a top five tight end. I mean, that's rare to see. But in terms of his athletic profile, his overall talent, and the, uh, the path to more targets, as I mentioned, I mean, the, the, it was such an obvious looking back on it that like, people just missed it simply because he was an unknown. Like, and as I mentioned, like more people do know about John and Hayden Hurst, but in terms of like a casual fantasy football player, like who the heck is John Smith? Who the heck is Hayden Hurst? Cause I have not seen them play in the NFL at all. Cause at the end of the day here, Hayden Hurst was a backup to Mark Andrews last year and John Smith was kind of hidden uh, behind Delaney Walker. So, I mean, those two guys are kind of coming out of nowhere for 
the, the casual fantasy core. But if you guys are watching this and you guys are more casual, they are guys that are going to be had at value in your drafts. And if you're able to scoop them up, like it's a no brainer. Cause I've seen, as I mentioned, them going off in like the mid teens area when I myself have Hayden Hurst, believe it or not for redraft as my tight end six and John Smith as my tight end nine. So, I mean, realistically, those are two top 10 tight ends for me that can be had so much later at where they're currently being valued or where I currently value them. So, I mean, just find the values and be able to pick them out. But uh, that basically holds true to the tight end position every year. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of guys next year, same situation, show the talent, ultimately have an increase in situation that could ultimately provide you that league winning type upside. Because at the end of the day here, I mentioned multiple times with uh, Corey, Hitting on a late tight end is one of the most beneficial things in fantasy. If you're able to hit on a late round tight end, he produces as a top five guy. Realistically here, you're, you're so much more likely to make your playoffs and potentially contend in your championship because the rounds that you're going to be using, like as I mentioned, uh, a mid-round tight end is like a fourth to like seventh round tight end hypothetically. Those rounds, you can get like a receiver or a tight end or, a, or sorry, a receiver or a running back and still get a, a good producing tight end in like the ninth, 10th, 11th round. Like that's so much value to be had because at the end of the day here, those running backs receivers at the ninth, 10th, 11th round aren't going to hold a candle to most of the running backs receivers you get at the fourth to seventh area. So, I mean, just being able to hit on that position, especially in dynasty, because you get a guy who can start for you long-term is so crucial. So uh, those are my thoughts on the tight end position. Again, my three-step process, uh, again, just to outline it, uh, natural talent, obvious, efficiency on targets, and clear path to more targets. And if you guys need to uh, see more on that, you can just zoom back to what I was talking about about five, 10 minutes ago. So, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my very final piece on, on tight ends. And I, I already said this, but I can't reiterate it enough. And it's be patient. No matter what situation we're talking about, whether it's a startup draft, whether it's a rookie draft, whether it's holding them on your roster, you have to be patient. I learned my lesson last year. I went out and I drafted, I had like three first round picks. I decided to use like the seventh or eighth overall in TJ Hawkinson. Um, wish I didn't do that. Do I have faith that he's going to be a top 10 tight end within the next two years? Absolutely. But now I have to sit on him on my roster for the next couple of years until he breaks out because no one's going to give me what I paid for him. And there's no reason in trading away a guy at less than value this, this early in his career. Um, so my advice for rookie drafts would be to wait because I could have gone and waited until the end of the second or early of the third. And I could have got a guy like Irv Smith or someone like that, who is going to have that, that same opportunity within the next two or three years. Sure. The natural talent might not all be there, but he's going to develop at the same rate as TJ Hawkinson. And it, it would have came at a lot cheaper. So in rookie drafts, you want to be patient. Like you said, in startups and in redrafts, you want to be patient. There are so many ways that you can do this. You can wait until your double digit rounds, like, even in these dynasty startups, you can get John U. Smith near the double digit rounds right now. You can get Dallas Goddard pretty late right now because Zach Ertz is still there. Uh, Hayden Hurst is still late. You can get Blake Jarwin basically for free. And that's the thing. Don't, and if, if you're in a tight end premium league and George Kittle is like the most valuable person by far to have, and you want to take him in like the second or third round. First off, you're not going to give him the second or third round in the tight end premium. Yeah, and the tight end premium, he's realistically going at the end of the first, early second. Like he's going – and uh, it was crazy. We did an expertly, expertly. It was a tight end premium. And uh, me and Bush actually shared the dynasty team. And we were able to trade up. We got Patrick Mahomes in the first round. And the next two picks, we were able to get George Kittle and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the foundation of our team. So that's like the three stack. You get the best tight end – 
uh, for Dynasty. You get the best quarterback for Dynasty and then a really, really good young rookie running back tied to your best quarterback. So at the end of the day here, it's not going to be a circumstance where you get George Kittle at the end of the second in the tight end premium. You're going to have to pay that late first, early second type capital. So again, if you're able to, if you miss out on a guy like George Kittle early, being able to hit on those guys who can produce later on are going to be so critical because instead of spending that early, early pick, you're getting a guy who's still producing top ten, uh, top five type uh, level that you got in like the eighth, ninth, tenth round. So I mean, yeah. it's just be, as you mentioned, be patient though. That's the main key. If you're able to spot an owner who's frustrated right now with a guy who hasn't produced in the first first uh, first year or second year, like go go out and gauge the value, see if they're willing to sell cheap. Because realistically, like you shouldn't be expecting much in those first two years, as you mentioned. Yeah, and like in startups, the the consensus top six, top seven tight end pretty much is going to have almost the exact same upside as the tight end twelve or 12, tight end thirteen or fourteen. Like these guys are all interchangeable. You got to weigh their opportunities. You got to weigh their ADPs and you got to figure out what's going to work best for you. Um, but the, the biggest key with these tight ends is that you have to be patient. And the biggest key with finding any breakout player is that you don't overpay, you be patient and you do your own research. Bingo. You covered it all. Uh, again, really enjoyed this episode. We taught you guys how to spot a breakout, especially in dynasty hitting on those breakouts are huge uh, for long-term success. But yeah, I'm just glad that we got this series uh, underway. Again, this series will be coming out every Wednesday for you guys uh, to enjoy. Uh, Mikey's going to be running this dynasty stock watch. This is episode one on how to spot a breakout. Uh, any closing thoughts before we uh, head out of here, Mikey? No, aside from, Feel free to uh, hit me up and, and Danny on Twitter. Uh, we're, I'm more than happy to further explain my thoughts on, on how to find breakout guys. I mean, I think, I think we got pretty much all of our thoughts right here, but uh, I'm always more than willing to have a more in-depth conversation one-on-one -on -one with whoever. Um, and obviously, I love talking fantasy football every 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So feel free to, uh, feel free to send me a message, and I'm looking forward to talking to whoever. For sure. And uh, if you guys have made it far, this far in the video, make sure you go comment down below what your thoughts are as well. And if you're here, go like, comment, subscribe down below. And uh, until next time, this is Danny and Mikey bringing you the Dynasty Stockwatch series. So peace out.